You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. So I'm a lung specialist in medicine, and that's the commonest lethal cancer. So I have to tell people, mostly men, that they're going to die. We get talking, and the men, they always, when they talked about regrets, they said, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids. But the thing that got to my heart, honestly, when they said, you can't get the time back again. Now, here's your hosts, Tim and Dez. Well, welcome to this week's Momentum. It is Tim and Dez with you once again all around Australia. We are so appreciative of you tuning in and uh, hope you're going well. Hope you're doing well. You know, we are all going through stuff in life and uh, hopefully at the Momentum website, you can find some stuff to help you on your journey. That is MomentumAustralia.org. And of course, we have a care line, but I'll let my good friend, co-host and Irish legend, Dez Kennedy, introduce that in just a tick. <laughs> are legends not people who are already dead? no. You've already I reached that status, it. my friend. <laughs> I know good. I'm a real man, but I mean that's a bit that's a bit rough. <laughs> <laughs> but the, our Memento Caroline, please, uh, guys, just remember the number. It's an easy number to remember. It's one eight hundred triple zero men, and it is provided by our friends at Caroline Connections, and it is all about giving you a number that you can call whenever you're struggling, when you're on your own, when you need to reach out to somebody and you don't have anybody close around you, and you can reach out seven days a week between now. 9 a.m. and 11 p.m. 1-800-000 men. Now, just before uh, we continue, I just want to say, as we always say, that is find somebody that you can get close to, who can hold us all accountable, who you can be open and honest with, because that is the greatest benefit to you as a man. Mm. And so, yeah. but if you haven't got that, 1-800-000 men. Yeah, good stuff, Daisy. Yeah, we do absolutely endorse here at Momentum men not doing life on their own. And so we encourage that for sure. And you know, there's certain times of year that can certainly bring those feelings of isolation and loneliness. And one of them, of course, is Father's Day. And we want to acknowledge not only Father's Day, but acknowledge and celebrate all dads making a positive difference in their kids' lives and or those making a difference in the lives of kids in communities all around Australia. And as you know, Tim, fatherlessness is a growing problem and it is having a huge impact on not only Australian children, uh, but in families, but also right across communities and societies. And one organisation which has been around for several years now, it's helping men all around Australia be better dads, is the Fathering Project. Now, the project was founded back in 2013 by Dr. Bruce Robinson. Since then, Bruce has become somewhat of a leader in the promotion of good fathering. And he's written three best-selling books on fathering. I, I don't know how you get three books, but that's amazing. You're able to write three books uh, and giving fathering seminars all around the world. And it's a great privilege and pleasure to have Bruce with us on this week's Momentum. Welcome, Bruce. Thanks, guys. Nice talking to you. Bruce, for those who perhaps haven't heard of you, they may have heard of the Fathering Project, not sure where it's come from. I mean, you're, you're the man that instigated all of this. Let's let's find out a bit about you before we launch into the Fathering Project. Um Born in Frio here in uh, Western Australia in 1950, you grew up in Bassendee, which is just on the outskirts of the city. And you once said that uh, growing up in a stable and loving home is something people typically come to appreciate later in life. So without further ado, tell us a bit about your, your childhood. What was that like for you? Yes, yeah, uh, very much a working class childhood. Bassendee was a factory suburb. Dad worked in a factory. Mum was a typical housewife. Um, and we didn't have much money, but, you know, we just had a pretty nice family, not a perfect family, but I actually, I still keep up with some of my school friends from Bassendee. We all played footy together and we still catch up. And we had a discussion a few weeks ago 
what did we appreciate about growing up in such a working-class environment on the river? Mm. Everybody said the same thing, a Tom Sawyer childhood, riding your bike, swimming, you know, just basically disappearing from home, freedom. But then when you got home, meal on the table and a lot of love. And again, I don't want to pretend it was a perfect family, but certainly felt loved. Mm. I mean, that's that's a great basis for a family anyway, isn't it? Just having, you know, looking back and saying, you know, I was loved. I mean, there's so many men that come, you know, listen to Momentum who wouldn't have had that experience of, you know, feeling loved and so forth. They, you know, would maybe the other end of the spectrum, you know, there's lots of of them have all the things that they want, but don't feel the love. And that's that's really sad. I think that is a challenge, you know, and I know, having talked to so many thousands of dads, that the process of communicating love to children, I mean, you can easily say it, hey, I love you, although a lot of dads struggle to do that. Mm. But even then, kids are too smart to be hoodwinked by a phrase, oh, I love you so much. Mm. Actually showing love is a challenge for dads. It's probably harder now than when I was a kid. So uh, why do you think that is? Well, I think uh, there's a couple of problems that we're confronted with, and one of them is... Um, now, my dad used to get home every night at five o'clock. Yeah. But yeah. dads nowadays, they get home a lot later um, and they're often on their phones and, you know, a bit you know, distracted by, so you know, just still having to work at home or maybe just not having to, but working at home. Hard for the kids to get their dad's attention. But there is another major problem, which is that the kids of today face a lot more challenges than when I was a kid. Mm. One of the obvious ones is uh, drugs. Methamphetamine is a party drug. Binge drinking, 17-year-olds, 32% of 17-year-olds binge drink at least once a month. Major risks. Um, Social media, and when I talk about social media, it's not an evil per se, but you think of a couple of things. The first is cyberbullying. You know, when I was a kid at school, you know, some kid could get whacked and, you know, everyone would gather around, but it was all over in five minutes. <laughs> now it's 24 hours a day. It's, you know, yeah. lots of people can see it. It's it's anonymous, so anyone can do it. It's very hurtful to kids. It's very hard for them to feel love. And the other one uh, is actually pornography. And I'm talking yeah. now about preteens who have a distorted view, for example, of being able to love someone. This is not a moralistic question. This is actually a fundamental question about being able to engage with another human being in an intimate way based on love. Mm. This is what all the sociologists say. Exactly. And and one of the statistics that we know is that, you know, kids as young as seven um, are are seeing pornography. You know, their dad has a phone and he has pornography on his phone. He sets his phone down and the kid picks it up and puts images into their minds that they cannot erase, that alters the way they think. To be fair to kids, sometimes... So here's here's the way pornography sites work. They they do a couple of things. One is they buy up the web website domains that that sound a bit like what the kids are doing in their homework. So for example, in America, the whitehouse.gov oh. is mm-hmm. if they want to look up the president or something. But the whitehouse.org and the whitehouse.net and the whitehouse.com are all owned by pornography sites. So if the mm-hmm. kids um you know just have a guess, yeah. They get a pornography site. And then if they try to get out of it, there's a thing called mouse trapping where they can't get out of it. Yeah. You can't go oh. back. You can't close it. So now you're trapped because all your homework is now stuck. Your homework, you don't want to shut it all down. 
So yeah. it's not always, you know, because of that or anything like that. But you're right. Once once they're into it, it's it's very distorting to kids. So mm-hmm. yeah, not a trivial problem nowadays. But dads are very powerful in helping kids think through it. Mm. Let's come back to that because I, I want to ask you. You mentioned before about your childhood being loving, and I was going to ask you, what's the difference between being loved and feeling safe? Because one would like to think that if you're loved, you would feel safe, but that's not necessarily the case, right? Yeah, there are two different things. To be, to feel safe is about security, um, and uh, from security and safety from all sorts of threats, be they internal in the family or the family being a sheltered environment. You know, if you're if you're a black kid in a white playground and you're getting racist comments, then the family has to be a place of safety where you know you, you're going to be um, treated safely. Love, however, is something different. It's, it's, it's about how you feel as a child. So let me give you an example that you brought it up. A parent can say, I love you. There's three ways to say I love you. I love you. How could you do this to me? Uh, That's a common one. <laughs> The second one is, oh, I love you. Oh, I love you so much. Just feel my love, which is better, but it's still about you. Yeah. But mm. to say, I love you, to show that I love you makes that person feel lovable. Yeah. That is that is absolutely the best way to show love because they then grow up feeling lovable. And, Des, I think you might have mentioned it earlier on that it was hard to feel that, that lovability so, you know, the commonest cause of promiscuity in a teenage girl is a girl looking for the love that dad's not given her. Yeah. Or to put it another way, if she gets a lot of love, you know, she doesn't have to, you know, have her radar out for someone else who's going to show a bit of love. And a lot of people have trouble feeling lovable, even if they're loved. So they're not felt lovable when they're young, so that when they get into a relationship, it's hard for them to accept the love, say, of a partner. Mm-hmm. You know, they just think, oh, you're just saying that. You don't really love me. You're going to leave me any time. You're just saying that. It's so important for dads to have that third way of saying I love you. I love you. Yes, that's that's really cool. And and you wouldn't think about that unless you know, somebody actually says it that way so you understand the difference. Bruce, can I can I ask then as, um, as a father, I mean, I'd never heard that, and it makes so much sense. That's a simple thing that we can do to instill into our kids. But when we're... Um, parenting boys and girls, obviously the love love thing would kind of span over both, but each needs to be spoken to slightly differently to draw out that individualness in who they are, right? So can you give us some, I suppose, some bullet points for parents of or dads of boys and then what, what we're speaking into boys' lives particularly and likewise for girls? Well, let me start with girls. Pretty easy because I wrote a book about daughters and their dads, and that was because of the clamoring of mothers to say, please write a book about daughters and their dads. Dads have got no idea. It's what they told me too. But in answer to your question, there are three things a daughter needs from her dad, as distinct from a son. One is she has to be told she's beautiful, beautiful inside and out. Secondly, she has to be given confidence not say, oh, that's a stupid thing, but ask her opinion. And so she feels confident because the imposter syndrome is very common in girls when they mm. grow up. Mm. Yeah. And thirdly, and you know, thirdly, a daughter le- learns from her dad how to expect to be treated by a man. That's absolutely right. 
And, yeah. you know, I was told by James Dobson, actually, when I spoke to him in America, that the commonest reason for success or failure in a marriage with a girl, with a woman, is the relationship she had with her dad. Wow. And that's really scary if you've got a daughter, as I have. You know, I think, wow, I've really got to get into the game here. So how yeah. I treat her, let me just give you one example. If I treat my daughter with respect, if I set that bar of respect really high, she won't put up with crap from blokes. Mm. But if I drop that bar down and don't respect her, she says I'm not worthy of respect and all sorts of things can happen. Mm. So they're the three things that daughter needs. And just to finish, a son, well, let's face it, boys have always learnt as apprentices to their dad. They were with them hunting. They were with them on the farm, shoulder to shoulder, pushing the plough, etc. And now they go to primary school and kindy and they're taught by women, mostly, almost exclusively, no matter how hard we try. We can't get blokes into the um, primary school, much better in secondary school where my son is. So you have to accept the fact that you have to spend time with your boys shoulder to shoulder. They are your apprentices in life. Just wagging your finger at them doesn't work. You have got to be there with them. Not all the time, of course, you've got to work and they've got to go to school, et cetera. But you've got to spend a lot of time shoulder to shoulder. And we talk in the Fathering Project about things like dad dates. You go out with your kids one-on-one. Mm -hmm. mm. -on -one. No other, Not you and three kids, you and one kid. If you've got sons, three sons, you have three different dad dates. You talk to them as mates. You talk and you listen. You listen, 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 listen. The second great trip, this is a winner, is a dad trip with your kids. Again, dad and the son, well, and daughters as well, but shoulder to shoulder. Take them on a trip, footy trip to Melbourne, conference trip, a work trip. We actually gave this tip to the West Coast Eagles, one of the footy teams over here. <laughs> Not doing too well at the moment, but anyway, um, their coaches... <laughs> We do a program with them, and their coaches started to take their kids one at a time to the away games. I mean, it's a beautiful thing to yes. see. Yes. Mm. That's the sort of shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder that a boy in particular needs. Mm. Yes. I, I mean, it's funny you say that. I, one of the things that Tim and I talked about when I was talking about my father, uh, he was a loving, caring, godly man. Um, but, and there's a huge but, he didn't spend time. You know, he was busy reading his Bible or he was busy working. And, you know, that was just his world. And and so, you know, he'd come home on a Saturday night. He had shoe shops and he'd come home on a Saturday night and he'd sort of pull into the garage and I'd be excited. I'd be out in the back garden playing and I'd say, Dad, come and kick a ball with me. And never once in my entire life did he do it. And so I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, I'm, I'm actually uh, fascinated by people who are like that and not to criticize anyone who's goes to church and sort of overdoes it but if you think of one of the most famous stories in the bible is the story of the prodigal son you know, mm. he goes off wine women and song comes back to his dad and volunteers to work as a you know laborer yeah farm and his dad runs out and gives him a hug and then he won't he won't listen to his speech he just he says i love you anyway mate i mean i don't care what you've done i love you anyway right so yeah. And there's a couple of things about that. One is being there for your kids. Yeah. I mean, he could have been out there fixing his tractor or something and just said, I'll get around to seeing you. But he ran down the street. I mean, to be there for your kids, mm. if, if they know you're there for them, it's such a powerful thing. Yeah. And secondly, to love them without condition. You run down the street, 
And I've told this story actually on on radio. Uh, I made them cry when I told it, but I told them the story of uh, Janis Joplin, the rock and roll singer who went off and went back home for a school reunion and sort of flounced around. She was a drug addict and alcoholic of various things. Flounced around the streets of the town with her entourage and um, instead of her dad running down the street, because it was conservative Texas, throwing his arms around her, he left town for the day. Oh, wow. He should have run down the street and thrown his arms around her and and, and said, oh, I don't care what people say or how many cameras are here. I love you and, you know, I've got a party organised for you. A month later, she died of an overdose. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. How, how can we get this so wrong? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's profound. Do you think it's an element in, uh, before we go to a break, where... I mean, the lack of education of, of dads. So, you know, they didn't have a father figure and so they didn't have the right instruction or maybe any instruction um, in terms of being a dad. Absolutely. The reason we started the fathering project, it was only two reasons. One is dads didn't realise and still don't how important they are. Yeah. They sort of think that they're a bit optional. Muck around with the kids, have an ice cream, Mum will do the parenting. They don't realise that dads are absolutely crucial mm. for all of those key things and, and reducing all of those risks that we worry about in kids, drugs and depression and all that stuff. Secondly, once they realise they're important, they don't, don't know what to do because their dad wasn't much good. Yeah. Or it's a different generation. How do I deal with cyberbullying, et cetera? So mm. Bubbling Project started to make them realise those two things. You are important and, hey, we've got a treasure chest of tips for you that you can use that actually work. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, we are going to go to a short break, but in the meantime, we will point you to the website, and that is thefatheringproject.org, thefatheringproject.org. Uh, lovely to have a quick squiz around that as we take a short break here at Momentum and come back and talk to Dr. Bruce Robinson. He is the head of The Fathering Project. Again, thefatheringproject.org, and of course, our website, momentumaustralia.org. We'll be back with the second part of Momentum real soon. Stay tuned. This is Momentum a show that helps men succeed in life. Find out more at MomentumAustralia.org. All right, well, welcome back to the second part of this week's Momentum. Once again, Timothy is with you, and we are joined uh, by our special guest, Dr. Bruce Robinson from The Fathering Project. Uh, TheFatheringProject.org is the website. Encourage you to check it out. There is a bunch of resources on that website, thefatheringproject.org. And actually, uh, judging from the way that the first part of the show does now just saying, it felt like about five minutes. So there's a lot of information that's probably going to come at you in the next 10 to 15 minutes. So maybe grab a notepad <laughs> as well uh, as, you're, uh, as you're listening. But uh, Dr. Bruce Robinson is our special guest. And, and Bruce, just before we launch into The Fathering Project um, and a bit more about that, I did want to ask you because you said, you know, when you were young, your dad, came home at five o'clock every night. And I'm curious to know what the relationship was between you and your dad. I suppose the overriding theme in the first part of the show was spending time, just time with our kids is really important. So what did that look like for you and dad when he got in at five o'clock every night? What was the relationship between you guys? Uh, good question. He didn't do a lot at five o'clock. I mean, you know, there's a lot of wood chopping and, you know, we had to chop wood for the fires and mowing of lawns. Um, and I don't, you know, on the plus, plus side, Dad in the summer would take us, me and my brother and sister, early morning swimming down the river, and he would take us out camping. And Dad's idea of camping was just to get into the car and get a sleeping bag and sleep under the stars and get some wood and catch some fish. To, you know. <laughs> my mother, I think, wasn't sure whether all the kids would come home, but it was a fantastic <laughs> experience. 
but I've got to be honest and say he did have a drinking problem as well. He learned to drink during the war and um, heavy smoker, and, you know, that caused him problems at various times. And that actually affected, to be honest, my brother quite a bit. He was younger than me, and Dad had his worst times of depression and drinking when my brother was, um, you know, sort of needed him. So, but, yeah, there was time. I just to quickly say two, two things. Well, one thing about my dad. My dad, well, two things. One is my dad taught me to take responsibility for my own life. He didn't say, if you get into trouble and come home and the police and, you know, I'll, I'll thrash you with an inch of your life. He said, it's your responsibility, mate. I'll be disappointed. But you'll face the consequences. You make your own decisions in life. You think about it and make your own decisions. Secondly, he was a good model, role model for making a difference. He was president of the RSL, looked after all the old veterans, him and his mates, um, and he basically measured the success of life by whether you made a difference. And that impacted on me quite a bit and how I live my life in medicine and in life. Two good things to say, Patrick. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's launch into Fathering Projects. Again, the fatheringproject.org. Um, you founded it back in 2013. And uh, the aim is supporting fathers, father figures to be the best parent they can be so their children can thrive. Um, I suppose leaders back into... 2013, 2012, whatever, or whatever has led you to that point to go, I need to do something about this. And I'm going to be the guy that's going to step up and, and do something. Yeah, it wasn't quite as, you know, like a lot of things, a bit of an accident, but a couple of seminal moments. The first is sitting in my, so I'm a lung specialist in medicine. Right. And that's the commonest lethal cancer. So I have to tell people, mostly men, not always, that they're going to die. To be honest, about three hours ago, I told a man in his 50s he had cancer. This is how often I do it. Mm. And uh, But I also do the journey with them. That's, you know, showing compassion to my pay. I don't just sort of handball them on to oncology, et cetera. So we get talking. And the men, they always, when they talked about regrets, they said, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids. But the thing that got to my heart, honestly, when they said, you can't get the time back again. Yes. I wish wow. someone had told me when I was young. Yes. Wow. I've got to be a good dad. I can't get the time back again. But the other seminal moment actually was um, when I when we started to look at the statistics. And it turns out being a good dad isn't just good for dads. Hey, you know, feel good about it and go to sleep at night feeling happy and having good times. It's that it has, it has a spectacular effect on the well-being of children. In other words, if you don't have a good dad, your risks of things like being a drug addict or getting depressed and or losing your values, maybe end up in jail or bad attitude, bullying at school, they're all profoundly reduced if you've got a good dad. So we realised this wasn't just good for dads, this is good for kids. I mean, we owe this to our kids to really get dads engaged and learning what, what a good dad is. Mm. That's how it started. And then I started giving talks at schools and what have you and and basically a, a board formed, and uh, now it's all over the country. It's amazing. He says, <laughs> just so matter of fact. Yes. But, yes, I mean, right. look, what, again, when I was, I, I knew about you guys. Uh, uh, here in Western Australia, we've heard about the Fathering Project a fair bit, uh, particularly because obviously it was founded here. But it wasn't until I was doing the research for this interview that I, I didn't understand just how much you have on offer for guys at the website. And I can't stress that enough, thefatheringproject.org. Um, a couple of key things I want to unpack with you. You've got uh, one of the things on there, the fathering channel, which I thought was really cool because there's just simple stuff on there. There's deeper stuff on there. There's like 
tips for cooking. There's tips for how to have certain conversations at certain ages with your kids, that sort of thing. I mean, just really practical stuff for dads. I just thought that was so brilliant. And again, easy stuff that dads can access and take on board. So why would you put on there tips for cooking? Well, every every dad's different and every kid's different and every circumstance is different. So sure, well, that was what they wanted. So, I mean, I'm not a cook. Honestly, Des, I'm utterly useless. A very bad role model for that. I fortunately my son's cook. <laughs> no, the fathering channel started during COVID, actually, when all the dads ah, okay. were the kids. So we had to do stuff. And, you know, we had things like camping out in the backyard and instructions for that and, you know, ideas and tips for – and, of course, we have ideas and tips for how dad group, dad's groups at schools can have a camp out in the school playground. How do you make that work? Uh, and in fact, I encourage any dad who's listening to, if you know, get to, to go to their school principal or their PNC and say, "We want a dad's group in our school. We're going to start it." Well, let's talk about dad's groups, right? Because this is again, Des and I are our key messaging around momentum is dads to not do life in isolation, get connected, yeah. um, start having conversations that you know about stuff that's happening in your life. Let's just talk, not talk about the footy and particularly if the West Coast Eagles are involved at the moment, let's definitely not talk about the footy, but that's a different story. I, I don't know anything about, anything about the West Coast Eagles. Well, Nothing. you're not missing much in that instance. But uh, but look, let's talk about the dads group in particular, because, I mean, when I look at some of the stats, right, Bruce, 98% of dads reported feeling more connected to other dads. 82% of dads had more awareness of the impact, their impact on their child. 75% of dads became more engaged in conversation with their children. I mean, they are amazing yeah. stats and percentages. So tell us a bit about the dads group, what it looks like, how they run, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. Well, it started off just dads getting together and then maybe, you know, doing a hill tolly derby or a camp out with their kids or having fun with their kids. Mm. But then we began doing something that's turned out to be very powerful. We would provide them with, a, say, a 15-minute video on some topic like how do you help your dads with their education or what do daughters need from their dads? Some of the things you just discussed with me. or mm. And we have experts talking about it and dads sharing in a 15-minute video. And then the dads walk out and say, gee, that was absolutely fantastic. I didn't know that. Now I know what to do. So that's the second advantage of having the dads groups. But the third advantage, which I admit, silly me, I did not predict. Now these dads, instead of dropping their kids at the school gate, they now know the other dads. And now they're starting to meet for coffee. So... They start to meet for coffee or they do a bike ride together or one group I know, they, they go to the beach together and have a body surf and stuff and a coffee afterwards. So dads are getting connected. And one of the saddest things in Australia at the moment, I bet it's the same in other countries, is the loneliness of men. Lots of mm. acquaintances, but very yes. few close friends. Yes. And so this is a chance for dads to make friends and actually as you say talk about how the kids are going and what you know what are you doing or bringing the kids with them and it's been a great spin-off of uh, having these dads groups and there are, I think we worked out there are about 9400 schools in Australia and we'd like to see dads groups in 9400 schools yeah uh, but it's got to come from the dads I think you know they've got to go to the schools and say we want what they don't have to demand it they can just do it Mm. All the school's doing is emailing and letting the other dads know that it's happening. The teachers and principals don't have to do anything. They just have to form a dads group and then ask the fathering project if they could, you know, access all their stuff. Yeah. So we have about 37 stations plus Vision Radio, and they would be linked to thousands probably of schools all around Australia. And so 
we would encourage any man who's listening to this, who's in a school where there's no fathers group, to do exactly what Bruce said. Get out there and start something. That's right, Des. They could do it tomorrow. They could go to school, park their car, look at the other dads and say, hey, we're going to form a dad's group. Two people is a group. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> two people is a group. And then they're doing another two people. they got four. Now they've got a dad's group. And that is exactly what the Fathering Project helps with. And, you know, if they were, if they were, if that was a 1,000 schools, then that's another 1,000 schools that have got dad's groups connected. Such mm. a powerful force. Our patron is the former Deputy Prime Minister of Australia, John Anson. He says that the Fathering Project is the most powerful force in Australia at the moment to change the future of our kids. Wow. That was that's amazing. Now that's that's, that's encour- so encouraging. Bruce, is there something on the website that uh, guys can, can look up and see if their school already has something or if they want to get connected and they're not even sure? Like, can they... Email the office. There's an email there that just ask. Right. So they can get signed up there. Okay. Well, the, the, the again, the website is fatheringproject.org. Um, you know, Bruce, we're almost out of time for this show, but I think if we've got time, we'll, we'll get you back. But one thing I did want to quickly touch on is um, the Fathering Project Preventing Kids Harm, the PKH program that you launched in 2015, um, tackling the problems of child self-abuse, suicide, substance abuse, those sorts of things. Um, wh- why do you think that kids today particularly are, are struggling with this, perhaps more so than in our generations, would you say? Well, firstly, there's more pressure on kids, substance abuse. You know, like there were no drugs around when I was a kid. Cigarettes, smoke at the back of the cinema and a few bottles of beer and brown, you know, honestly. Now methamphetamine's a party drug. Well, I'll tell you the statistics. If in terms of teenage depression and the, the epidemic of anxiety, a good dad, 30% reduction. In other words, what's the good father effect? 30% reduction in risk. Nothing comes close to that. Mm. Um, substance abuse, 50, 50% reduction in risk. Bad behaviour at school, bullying, et cetera, et cetera, 80, 80% reduction. And if you think about bad, bad, bad values and going to jail, 90% reduction in risk. So... You know why? How much? Why wouldn't you just do this for your kids if you knew that was going to reduce their risk? I mean, you know, Dad walks into a school with his four-year-old daughter and thinks, you know, nothing's going to happen to her. You know, we always think it's going to be someone else's kids. Yeah, that's a good mm. message. Yeah. But when mm. they're four, get involved, Dad's group, da 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 da, and fantastic reduction in risk. Wow. And otherwise, you'll live with regrets and say, "I wish I'd done it." Mm. Are those statistics on the website? Some of them are. Um, yeah. I, I did a lot of this in, in my books. I've referenced it all. And I looked it up again recently, to be honest. And there's, I think I looked up two or 300 different papers. And uh, th- those are the basic average statistics of the good fathering effect. Wow. That's just that's unbelievable. But you talk to anyone who works with drug addicts or, you know, yeah. and they all say the same thing. So I don't think there's any doubt about the good fathering mm. effect. It's just mm. how to make it happen is the challenge. Mm. Yeah. Well, what we might do, Bruce, is get you back for a second show and we can expand on that a little bit. In the meantime, we, we haven't talked about your books, but you can check them out at thefatheringproject.org, that website, thefatheringproject.org, and sign yourself up for a men's group too if you're not already connected. Of course, you can reach out to us at momentum, momentumaustralia.org, and we can try and put you in touch with some people too. And as Des mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you need a conversation 
a confidential conversation, reach out to the care line, 1-800-000-636. Dr. Bruce Robinson has been our special guest this week on Momentum from the Fathering Project. Bruce, an absolute pleasure. I feel like we've just scratched the surface of all the knowledge that you've got. So I think we will get you back for a second show. But in the meantime, thanks for being with us this week, mate. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Des. And I'd be very happy to come back anytime. Well, that was an amazing show. We had Dr. Bruce Robinson talking about the Fathering Project. Absolutely amazing. And so can I encourage uh, all of us, including me, to have a re-listen to that program. It's just amazing. So many tips. And also all our other shows are on our website. And the website is MomentumAustralia.org. That's MomentumAustralia, all one word, dot org. Yeah, fair call, Des. There was a lot in that show for sure. And you know what? As At our website too, uh, much as the Fathering Project has lots of resources, we have lots of uh, resources for you too at MomentumAustralia.org. Uh, things about all different facets of life just to help you on your journey. And you know, one of our core messages here at Momentum is don't do life in isolation or alone. You need to have a conversation, but perhaps you've got people around you you're not really sure you want to talk to about whatever it might be that you're going through you feel like you need an outside party and it's a confidential conversation remember we've got the momentum care line 1-800-000-636 that's 1-800-000-636 and so that's it for this show this week uh thanks for joining us and we look forward to talking to you next week right here on momentum until next week take care god bless you've been listening to momentum a show that helps men succeed in life for more information or to hear this week's show again go to momentumaustralia.org You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org. Until next time, keep moving forward with Momentum.